Niching down, owning your personal brand, and showing up as your wild self on social media often feels like a huge obstacle for copywriters like us. But as business owners, it's kind of unavoidable, especially early on in our business when we don't have a team. The good news is we control how we niche, how we brand ourselves, and how we show up in the world. And our guest on this week's podcast is the perfect example of a writer who's not only taken control over her brand identity, but who has also built a business that provides meaning to her. And she's done it in her own way with a brilliant sense of humor and grace. Miriam Vasu is a copywriter, screenwriter, and TikTok nerd. And after this episode, you just might rethink how you show up on social media, and you just might find yourself creating a TikTok account. I know she's almost convinced me, like not quite, but almost, so close. And before we jump into the interview, I want to introduce my lovely co-host this week who is feeling a little under the weather, and I appreciate um, her being here. So... Welcome back to the show, Jen Prohaska, um, who is a brand messaging strategist, writer, also a guest on episode 307, which is one of my favorite episodes where we talked about overcoming addiction, scaling a business, parenthood. We went deep and Jen was so transparent and real throughout the entire conversation. It's If you haven't listened to it, you've got to listen to it. So Jen, thanks thanks for coming back, especially when you're not feeling so great. Yeah, thanks, Kira. Yeah, I'm keeping it real. I'm a little congested, but I'm super excited to talk about Miriam's podcast. All right, great. And so before we jump in, this episode is brought to you by the Copywriter Accelerator. Um, we are really excited because we are about to uh, launch this program. We're about to jump in with a bunch of copywriters and get started. So we're currently offering early bird access to this business building program where we get to work with you over five months to put all the pieces of your business together. So you can go from feeling like an order taker um, to really feeling more like a CEO and in control of your business. And if you have any interest in joining or just checking it out, you can get on the um, join early and save some cash, which is always nice. Uh, and you can check out more information in the show notes. You will hear a good amount about it today uh, because our podcast guest uh, is an Accelerator alumni member, so you'll hear a little bit more about it. All right, let's jump into the interview with Miriam. I try to do the potted history because I'm very, very old, so there's quite a lot. Um, I always wanted to work in drama. Um, I studied drama at university. Um, I started off working in the film industry. I did various different roles on set to kind of learn the different trades. And I ended up uh, landing in the cutting room. So I was really fascinated with story and how a good editor can really transform quite mediocre material. So I spent hours and hours and hours sitting in cutting rooms. And I started when we were on film. That's how old I am. I was literally carrying canisters of film rounds. Um, towards the end of my time in the cutting room, it started to move over to digital. But 
it was an amazing place to learn about storytelling. Um, I increasingly became frustrated because I wanted more inputs and to have a bigger, uh, make a bigger difference on the story, which is why I went to the other end of the process and I looked into, I wanted to start writing. So I got various jobs, uh, script writing, script reading, you know, for other people. And I landed a big job on a programme called Coronation Street, which is, I think it's the world's longest running drama serial. So uh, I started there as a storyliner. I worked my way up to story editor. So I was in charge of the whole story office. We would write all the stories for every single episode that went out. Um, I did that for about a year and then I got promoted onto the writing team, which was a huge deal. So I was still quite young and I stayed on the writing team for a couple of years. Then I had a baby. So I just took some time off and I decided when I went back to go for a different show because I've been on Coronation Street at that point for about five years. And that's not five normal years. It's like five dog years. You know, it's so intense. Um, and I just wanted to do something else. So I worked on a Channel 4 programme called Hollyoaks, which is a kind of soap drama serial for student, a younger audience. And there was lots of comedy in it. And they dealt with some serious issues as well. So it's kind of, you know, it was in my, my, um, my, uh, my, I liked being able to combine the two. So I wrote on there for a couple of sessions. I did a few years, then I had my second son, then I went back for a few years. And then I found myself with two young children trying to write for a TV programme full time and something had to give. And you know, when you write for that kind of show, you're expected to be available 24-7. You know, if they need rewrites or someone goes off sick, you've just got to be there. You know, they need it in and they need it in for the next day. And I couldn't make myself that available. Well, I didn't want to. So um, I became an author. I um, wrote for children. Now, obviously, I had two young children at the time. And what I never thought I'd write for children, but what spurred me on is that I had two boys and the lack of imaginative books for young boys at that time. I was quite disappointed, you know, unless you wanted to read about firemen or tractors, there wasn't much. And I was sure you could do better than that. So I wrote a series of um, books aimed at boys under a pseudonym, and that was great fun and opened me up to the world of children's book authors who are the loveliest set of writers you will find. Copywriters are second, but children's book writers are just the most welcoming. They're, they are so lovely and have enriched my life in so many ways. So um, I did that, I carried on doing that for a few years. And then unfortunately, my eldest son became very, very ill. And I had to completely step back from work um, I for a, a couple of years, you know, we were trying to find our feet, me and him. I was trying to get him the help he needed and just adapt our whole way of life to his illness. And um, after a, a year or so, my brain is the kind of brain that just won't stop. And if less I use my brain positively, it starts to, you know, go down a dark path because it keeps going whatever I'm doing with it. And at that time, I'd heard more and more about self-publishing 
Now, this wasn't a, um, it wasn't familiar to me because I came up through the very traditional writing path. You had to find an agent and then the agent got you work. So um, I started to look on YouTube and found tutorials and things. And I thought just out of interest to see if this is possible and to keep my brain ticking over, I'm going to self-publish a couple of books. So I wrote a couple of fiction books, which I'd never done before. So, you know, I never like to make my life easy. So I wrote a couple of fiction books and published them on Kindle under a pseudonym and made them into an audio book. And I really enjoyed the process, but I thought this is not something I want to do. I don't want to be a publisher full time. You know, it takes me away from the work I enjoy. But, you know, I'm still earning money back from that. That's a regular source of income. And um, whilst I was on YouTube, I then started to see things on my feed about make a living writing online. And I, I was completely clueless. I didn't know what this could possibly be. So I started to watch videos and found out about, you know, writing blogs and writing online content. And I just thought this was incredible because when I came up as a writer, you know, you had to get past the gatekeepers and just seeing how young people now can just be a writer. I think it's incredible how it's democratised the whole industry, you know, and as someone like me who had no contacts whatsoever, you know, I had to kind of fight my way past every gate. I thought this was amazing. Um, and then I started seeing on my feed about copywriting. I was like, OK, what's this? And I started to download a load of new podcasts and I found your podcast and yours was the first one I found on copywriting. So actually it's kind of your fault that I'm here. And I began to learn about copywriting and something just clicked because, you know, it combines two of the things I love to do, which is write, obviously, and research, you know, give me a topic and I'm an expert. In, in two days you know give me a wi-fi connection i'm there you know i love to research and what else i loved about it was there was so much to learn you know i get really fired up about learning new things i get good at something and then i have to learn something else so i started i was speaking to some friends about this and the, through friends i started ghostwriting for people ghostwriting content and copy and I did that for a year or so. And I thought, OK, I really do want to make a go of this. So I'm going to have to come out from the shadows at some point. And that's when I saw your Accelerator program and I joined the Accelerator. So that's kind of how I ended up here. OK, there's so much in your background. I'm not sure where you're ever going to get to your copywriting career because I've got all these <laughs> questions about all the stuff yeah. that you did before. Uh, so just, you know, setting this up, we're going to be talking a little bit about cutting rooms and drama and, and whatever, at least those are some of my questions. So I want to go back, um, skipping forward from, you know, your, your time in drama, although maybe I've got questions about that too. Like I'm specifically interested. You said it's amazing what a good storyteller, or a good editor can do with mediocre content and turn it into a really good story. Talk a little bit more about that. What is the process? Because so many of us think that the material we're working with, the ideas that we have are mediocre, and yet there's a way to make that stuff sing and to be amazing if it's put together right. So let's talk about that process. How do you put together content so that it tells a really interesting, compelling story? 
Well, if you're talking about, um, yeah, I worked on both film dramas and TV, um, purely, you know, and I don't know how much people know, but you, when you're in the cutting room, you get every single version of every single shot. So a basic shot, you'd have a wide and then you'd have close ups on them speaking and you'd have three or four versions of each shot. So as an editor, you go through to find the best shot from each and then you try and fit them all together to make it work. And I saw editors literally cut a few seconds off the beginning and end of shots. And that made the whole scene much pacier. So structure in itself is an art form. The way you put these shots together, the way you put your lines together, rearrange things. You know, I have no fear in editing. I'm quite happy to tear something apart and put it back together in a way that it wasn't necessarily meant to be put back together and it works better. So what I learned as, as, as well as story structure in those cutting rooms was, you know, first thought is never best thought. You have to be unprecious about your material and you have to, especially if it's something you have written, you have generated. My philosophy to everything I write is, if someone can contribute an idea or a line that makes it better, I'll take that. Because anything you can do to make the content better is worth, you know, the content overall is, is not take your ego out of it and just make the best thing you can possibly make. So that I know from just seeing shots rearranged, and to editors turning scenes around, maybe not necessarily the order that the writer or the director had seen it, makes an enormous difference. So I want to hear more about Coronation Street and your experience on the writing team. I know you had different positions and worked your way up and then ended up in the writing team because that experience is so distant from me. I have no experience in that department. Can you just talk a little bit about like what your day-to-day -day looked like? in that role on the writing team and the intensity behind it? Yeah, sure. At the, at the time I was on Coronation Street, we worked in two-week cycles. So over the course of two weeks, we would storyline and um, complete two weeks of episodes. So at the time, it was about eight episodes we'd work on. So the start of the process would be a one-day meeting with all the writers, producers, the story team, and we would have an agenda and we'd go through each story that we needed to talk about in order, picking up from where we'd left off with that story. And we'd have to make a decision about where that story was going in the next two weeks. Now, those, those meetings varied in quality because sometimes the writing team would get stuck on one story. I don't mean necessarily stuck in that they couldn't think of it but they would be obsessed with one story and they just talk 80% of the meeting would be that just one story. And then as when I was in the story team, you'd be left with loads of story to fill because they hadn't even got to those other stories. So as a writer, you'd come in for that meeting. At the end of the two week cycle, you'd wait to hear whether you had been commissioned for one of those episodes. I would then be sent a story document which it, it outlined scene by scene what had to happen in that episode. So each story was in that episode. It'd say, this is where that story starts. This is where that story ends. 
You then went into a meeting a few days later, asked any questions you had about the episode. If you wanted to make any kind of big changes within the scope of the story, you'd have to get permission. Then you'd have to talk about, could I have this extra character? Could I have this set? Because there's huge restrictions on, you can't just have anyone in any locations. You know, there, there were production issues. Then you would go away, write that episode. You'd have usually maybe a week, depending on which episode in the block you've got. It's not long to get your first draft in. The story team and the producers read that first draft. Then it would usually go through two more drafts. Then that script went to production so that, you know, the costume and the actors and everyone would get that. So as a writer, you're in a two-week cycle. Now, bear in mind, if you're a regular writer, you're working on more than one episode at a time. You're writing an episode whilst you're editing another episode, whilst you're coming up with ideas for the story meeting about those eight episodes. So you're constantly in a state of flux. And you, uh, on screen, from what you saw, we were working about three months ahead okay. of what you said. So that's kind of, you know, most of the time you spent, as any writing job, most of the time you're spent in front of your computer at home. So it sounds like you started as the story person, the story editor, and then you made your, your way to being the writer. Was yeah. that the trajectory? That's, yeah, that's okay. Right. And as a follow-up, just what lesson or two did you pull from that experience that you find yourself using today in copywriting? In terms of the in terms of the promotion or in terms of the difference between the two jobs? The writing, the in the writing portion of that job. Well, um, like I said, we'd sometimes in the story office, we'd be left with a huge deficit of story. So and with not much time to write these episodes. So you had to be fearless about putting out ideas. You have to sit in the office. There was maybe three or four storyliners and the story editor. You just had to throw ideas out. You know, you could not sit there and worry oh no this is a bit. you just have to say stuff because someone's bad idea can lead to someone having a good idea so you develop a very very thick skin and a very fast reflex to you know filling gaps in in episodes in stories so in terms of storytelling it's just my heartbeat now. I am the most annoying person to watch any film or television because not, you know, that kid in the sixth sense who sees dead people. I see story poles everywhere. You know, I don't, I don't look, they're just there. So it can be quite frustrating for me watching anything because I always see the holes. Um, yeah, so sorry, I've lost my train of thought. I'm just thinking about the poor people who have to watch TV, isn't it? <laughs> I think it's probably better to see story holes or plot holes than it is to see dead people. So yes, you've got that's, that going that, yeah, for you. So, indeed, yeah. You know, as you're thinking about stories, I'm guessing that you got really good at writing or thinking about cliffhangers uh, with an episodic television show like that, where you need to have something that brings people back. Copywriters obviously call these open loops in our copy. Tell us about uh, how you approach cliffhangers, open loops, and how you use it in your storytelling, your copy today. Oh, absolutely. Because um, on Coronation Street, we had, it was on um, ITV, which is a commercial channel. So you'd have something called the ad tag, which was the the, the, the tag going into 
the, uh, the adverts, then you'd have the tag at the end of the episode to pull people in. So it was very natural for me to build to that rhythm. The rhythm of Coronation Street was up to the ads, then further up to the ends. On Hollyoaks, we had an extra tag because after the credit sequence, there was a small one small tag. So you, you have to go in a slightly different rhythm with that. Um, but I, it certainly, as a copywriter, it's hugely useful for me when I write emails because, and I love writing email sequences because I see them in the same way as I see a script. I see, take a, an, an, a sales email sales sequence. For me, there's the main objective, which is from the first to the last email, which is the same as the main story thrust through a script. So that has to run through each email. Then within each email, there is a story structure in itself, which has to contain some of the main sales stuff. So that's how I think and structure email sequences. And that it's I wouldn't say it's easy, nothing's easy, but I always think in terms of pulling them into the next email as well. So mine are slightly different in that I have a kind of hook at the end to help them pull them into. So hopefully when they see the next email, they're going to want to open it. And the, the, um, the subject line acts as a kind of hook for me as well. You know, you've got to get the subject line right to get them into the email. So yeah, that that structure and that series of hooks, tags, whatever you want to call it, is 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 there with all my writing actually. What helped guide your decisions along your career path that you shared with us? You know, there are many different turns and different career paths related to writing. Was it just intuition along the way? Did you have a process to help you evaluate when to leave a position, when to pursue something else, and then and you know, how did you decide what that next thing was for you at the time? Um, partly life. Life just has a habit of getting in the way in the best possible way. Um, also, as I've said, I genuinely, genuinely love to learn. And writing is is a, we're very privileged that that is a career, whatever type of writing you do, where there is always something to learn. But I just like to add more tools to my to my kit and I find when I'm finding something boring frustrating I know it's time for me to move on to something else and also what as I said working on in tv and that that's a fast pace you know and you're just doing you're not really enjoying the process as much you're just doing 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 all the time you don't have time to sit back and think about your career in that way so I think that was the best thing for my career that I did to step out of that and have more time to reflect on where I wanted to go with my writing I mean there's so much still I want to write you know that I've got a children's book that's kind of part way through there's a marketing book I want to write so now I just use my intuition I'm curious also about the crossover between writing children's books and writing copy for clients, whether that's email or sales copy. Um, I know there are significant differences, but what are some of the similarities? What are some of the things you take from writing children's books that applies directly to what you're writing for clients? 
Well, I can tell you, quite honestly, children are the hardest audience to win over. It's kind of laughable to me that people think that writing children's books is easy. It is the most difficult thing to get right. I mean, when I started writing uh, for children, my kids were kind of the target age. Uh, They're brutal. You know, I knew when they started to fidget or yawn and, oh, mum, talk about that. Again, don't talk about that all the time. You know, you, you it's and then again, it's thick skin. And I went into as part of my MA, I went into schools and taught creative writing. So, you know, you you've got to be on the ball with those kids. Um, so I don't think any clients I come across in a personal sort of personality wise can really get under my skin because you know I've worked in tv I've worked with some of the best editors producers I've worked with some of the worst um so that doesn't I don't sweat the small stuff when it comes to clients you know on a one-to-one level um like I said the thick skin is all it seems like more of us as copywriters could maybe use those first readers those kids telling us quit talking about that stuff it's boring me and get to the interesting yeah, absolutely. part absolutely <laughs> yeah i'll send my kids over they're teenagers <laughs> <laughs> okay jen let's break in here i am curious to hear what stood out the most to you during this part of the conversation yeah so first of all i'm totally fangirling over miriam like just her general disposition and um, her story. And when she said Coronation Street, like my jaw dropped. I mean, that's a big deal. <laughs> she was like, oh yeah, so I'm a writer on Coronation Street. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Did she just say, yeah. So, I mean, that stood out immediately. And I love that she talked about um, working with such a large team. I think there's a lot of takeaways there that I could relate to. Um, mine was at an agency, so definitely not as prestigious, but when you work with large groups of people and everybody has a say in what you're writing, I mean, you do learn to develop a thick skin. And I didn't get the sense that she meant thick skin as like a defense mechanism. Like it bothered me, but I learned to deal with it. She was like, it, it ceased to bother her anymore. And she even said at one point, um, I don't sweat the small stuff with clients. And that that's key because I, I do see a lot of newer writers sweating the small stuff. Um, so the fact that she got that pretty early on in her career is a definite benefit in everything she does in life, I think. But certainly when, you know, writing for somebody and having that creative process judged by so many people. So I think she's, I got the sense that she was honestly able to detach from the creative process, which really um, lets it take on a life of its own. And that's when the magic happens, that collaboration that's what really stood out to me about that part. Yeah. I wonder, you know, for someone who still still feels that attachment and it may, you know, may feel more sensitive to it where it's not as easy and maybe their your, their skin is not as thick because they haven't had experience like Miriam's had. Do you have any advice for anyone who's like, oh, I wish I didn't feel as attached. I don't want to feel as attached, but I still do. Yeah. And I don't want to say attached is a bad thing. I mean, this is our, you know, everything we write to some extent can be our baby, right? Especially with those larger projects. Um, I know when I write a website, I definitely, I mean, a whole website, like that's, that's part of me as well. But 
I think that the piece of advice that I would give is to think about the creative process holistically, because she also said that it made her fearless about ideas because someone's stupid idea, quote unquote, could spark a good idea. So it's not detaching um, and not caring. It's actually elevating your part in the entire creative process, knowing that it will produce something far greater than any one of us in theory could have come on, come up with on our own. I mean, even the greatest writers have editors, like everybody arguably needs some outside perspective. So I think when we can look at it that way, it becomes much easier. And it's less of, I can't care about my work and more of, I'm a spoke in this really awesome wheel. Right. It's just more of a collaborative approach, right? It's like, I am not the copywriter who has all the answers and my client can't question me, but it's like, well, what if I jump into this project and I look at my client as a collaborator? I mean, that definitely requires vetting prospects while you're working with clients yeah. who are who are looking for that and who are matching that level. Um, but I think it's it's a different approach and might be more more useful going into it. Um, I also you know, noted that she she left. It sounded like she left that kind of. Um, you know, high stress position in those writing rooms after her first baby and after having her first baby. And that that grabbed my attention just because that's when I left corporate life uh, after I had my first baby. And I remember that feeling just of, you know, it wasn't 24-7. Like it sounds like her position was like you had to be available 24-7, which is pretty crazy. Um especially since we're not medical doctors and we're not working in the ER, we're writers. I'm like, you shouldn't have to be available 24-7 if you're a writer. But uh, that's when I left my corporate life and really took a big shift in my my career. And it sounds like she did something similar. I feel like uh, that is common pattern, whether it's having a first baby or just having a big life change and questioning everything you're doing. And it seems like that came up several times throughout the conversation with Miriam. It was about knowing when to leave a position, knowing when to kind of zig and zag throughout the career, which I think can feel confusing and overwhelming at times, but it seems like she's handled it really well over her career. So I'm just wondering, you know, from you, Jen, like when was that moment where you felt like you had a really big zig or zag in your career where you had to kind of make that first really big shift that led you to entrepreneurship? Yeah, um, I could. I, I love this. And I love that you asked her about her job transition decision making process, because I feel like a lot of copywriters get stuck there. I think a lot of people get stuck there. For me, my switch, my biggest switch in my career was actually very much in line with what she said. It's just my getting sober was instead of having my first baby, it was for me, it was getting sober. But she said, you know, when you're just doing and when it, it really doesn't light you up anymore. And I think I mean, she gave what her launch copywriting niche six months. So it's not like you have a bad day and, oh, I got to, you know, change my business. Um, when it's really just not inspiring you. I, one of my favorite phrases is stay inspired because I think it's easy to be inspired. It's harder to stay inspired. And after a while, and and she, you know, certainly the hours and, and her priorities shifted once she had her baby. But even after that, as she was pivoting, along the way, um, you know, she said, I was just kind of doing like, it wasn't really, it wasn't lighting me up. Um, and I think that that is really important to hear from someone like her as a Gen X 
and she talks a lot about Gen X women and yeah, shout out to the Gen X. <laughs> um, I, you know, we were taught that like you had to stay in a job for a while. You had to pay your dues. You had to stick it out. I mean, now it's normal to have, you know, 10 jobs before you're 30. In my day, we called that job hopping and your resume went into the trash. So I, I think it says something that she was able to say, to reflect at various times in her life, what do I want here? Oh, and I have the right and the freedom to go after that. Um, you know, whether it's the, the positive having my first baby or the more challenging, you know, my son has an illness, you know, either way, it's, it's being able to say, I don't have to do anything other than take care of my family. How can I do that and still fulfill my creative mission, right? Like they don't have, you don't have to, I think sometimes as women, I don't know, and maybe this is a Gen X thing or not, but I feel like we, we feel like we have to choose between our passions and our children. <laughs> and she proved positive that you don't, you can, take care of both. Now, certainly on a daily basis, they're not going to be equal, but she has really managed not only to to take care of both, but to have thriving careers. I mean, we're not talking just leaving businesses here. I mean, she went from the most popular, the longest running television show in Britain to being a children's author. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I, I just moved from like in-house to agency life to like that's a big, those are big things. Um, and I'm really in awe of her commitment to her creativity and her need to um, keep that brain busy. I can relate to that. And I think a lot of us visionaries can. She said, you know, when you have a brain like I do, it doesn't stop. Um, and if I don't put that to use, to good use, it can go to dark places. So the fact that she was able to stay out of dark places um, for the most part and, and still creatively produce I mean, well, I said I'm fangirling over Miriam, and that's one of the reasons why. Like, that's so inspirational to me. Yeah, she, you know, when I think of her throughout this conversation, I feel like fearless comes up and pops into my mind. Like, she, I feel like she's just a really great example of a writer who has been fearless in her writing career. And you're right. I mean, has had such an impressive path and and not just in one space and you know like you said jumping into writing children's books out of working in these story rooms on a show and it's such variety and you just kind of know when you speak to her and hang out with her that there will be more in her journey you know and she'll just continue to figure out what's working and what's not working it really gets me excited about being a writer because there are so many different ways we can pull this craft into our career and it doesn't have to be the same and it can be whatever we want it to be and we can still own that identity as a writer but it can just look it can show up in so many different ways and again she's just a great example of that and I think she even had a quote you know when she was talking about advice about pivoting she said I when I find I'm finding something boring frustrating I know it's time for me to move on to something else and I think that's important for us to remember as copywriters in our own businesses, because it's easy to build a business where maybe you're not working for someone else and it looks like you should be happy all the time because you have this you know, so-called freedom in your business, but maybe you find yourself feeling bored or frustrated or even resentful. Maybe that's also a time to start to look at how else can I shift things in my own business so I don't have to burn it down necessarily and start over, but I can just start to shift it so it feels more exciting. I feel less frustrated. It feels easier. It's giving back to me. 
And I think that's where a lot of copywriters do get stuck because they're like, well, now what? I built the business. It was supposed to feel amazing and it's not feeling that way. And I can't blame it on someone else because I don't have a boss to blame it on. I have nothing else to blame it on. So what do I do now? And so she's a great example of how we just can continue to kind of like poke around, poke around until it starts to fit. And then when it doesn't fit, poke around again. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I also, I think a lot of copywriters um, and a lot of creative people in general that I've run into have kind of higher purposes, right? Like um, you've had, you know, on the show um, talking about veganism. And I know that you've recently taken that up. And I know, you know, we've had, um, you know, talks about how to bring in politics, how to bring in those social issues. And I found it really interesting that she said she couldn't find books for boys that were imaginative. And I'm a mom of, right? And I like, I'm a mom of two girls. And I was like, wow, really? Because I have a hard time finding books for girls that aren't all girl power. Not that I'm against girl power, but like I, my daughter just wanted a book with a character that was a girl. Like we don't, you know, it wasn't all about fighting the man. And words are so powerful and words. And when we think about what a copywriter and a content writer, what we're trained to do, we are trained to educate, enlighten, and ultimately convince. I mean, talk about the ability to create the change that we want to see in the world. I mean, it's a really powerful tool. And I love that she parlayed that without some, without much fanfare. She was like, oh, this doesn't exist. Well, I need it and I'm going to create it. <laughs> and she did it. Um, that That's something that I think sometimes writers forget because we do get lost in the business of writing. Um, but we have power in our words. And if something isn't fulfilling you, I know for me, sometimes if, if when my work gets a little tedious, which is going to happen in any job, I don't care what you do, it's going to get tedious. Then, you know, it could be using our powers for good, right? Like going to a nonprofit and copywriting, not for money, but for um, just to, to make the world a better place. I mean, there are all sorts of options. And I think once the thing that Miriam really represents for me is just being open, open your mind, whatever preconceived notions you think you have, just toss them aside because the stupid idea might lead to a good idea. I mean, everything goes back to being in a room with all those people and just working together. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's problem solving, right? She is, she is solving problems. She found there, were, there was not the book she needed for her children she solved that problem. I mean, she, you can't solve every problem, but you can start to solve these problems. And then she moved on to the next problem. And um, speaking of books, so I do think back to when you know my, my kids were a little bit younger and we were reading all these like classic books with all the different animals who are talking. And my daughter was always frustrated because she's like, why are all the animals boys? Like, why are they always boys? There are never any girl animals in these books. And so I would have to change the gender of like, half the animals or some of the animals just to have her, you know, some representation there. So anyway, when Maria mentioned that, I was like, yeah, there's a lot of work needed in children's books. I know a lot of work has been done and it's progressing, which is so exciting. Um, but definitely, like writers who are interested, jump into that space too. There are problems to solve. There are problems to solve in all of these spaces. And so um, I know we're going to talk a little bit more about the problems she's solving today in the second part of the conversation, so I won't give too much away, um, but it's exciting to hear about that too. Before we kind of wrap here, the last note I wanted to mention is that we talked we talked a good amount about how her experience working on storylines 
can really inform what she does today for clients. And I was just thinking about, you know, storylines and how she was talking about the hook and really transitioning from one email to the next, you know, so people want to, they're ready and they're excited to read the next email because those transitions are so seamless and, you know, how that, that's really tricky. Like she does it really well, but most, you know, not to say most of us don't, I struggle with that. Oftentimes it feels like my emails, even in a sales sequence, like they're defined. It's like you just read one by itself and that's, it doesn't really speak to the other emails. And so I think there's a lot we can learn just from, from Miriam and, and, and seeing writers and reading from writers who do this well so that we're transitioning easily and it doesn't feel like we're starting over every time we read an email from a business or a brand or an individual. It feels like that relationship is developing and we're even looking forward to it. So that's something that I am going to work on with even our TCC emails. Like, you know, we're sending daily emails now. How do we make those transitions, especially if it's like one email is from Rob the next day it's from me. How do we make more of a connection there so it feels like it's connected? So that's something that stood out to me. Jen, anything else before we wrap this part? No, yeah, I love the email thing and the idea that somebody's going to be excited to get your next email. That is a shift for me. Like, for, because for you, like, like you were saying, my emails tend to be siloed. So I love that she mentioned that. I mean, because we are, cra- I mean, we're all, we're story crafters. Like, we talk about that all the time. And the fact that she can translate that so naturally into her emails, that's a real gift. Let's get to the interview with Miriam. I want to fast forward now to where you are today, just to share with anyone listening, what does your business look like? Um, I, in the middle of a uh, relaunching my brand, um, when I came to the accelerator you know I didn't have any experience of being a personal brand I'd never considered my what I did as a business because I had a I always had an agent I because the only reason I really had an agent one because you kind of had to have an agent for sort of status also I am rubbish at talking about anything financial you know put me in a meeting to talk about the work I, I can talk all day as soon as fees or anything come up I'm like no so my agent dealt with all that so thinking of my what I do as a business was a big leap for me and quite a struggle actually Um, and when I left the accelerator I I didn't niche down like most people did by deliverable or or by um, who you were writing for my the one thing that's gone throughout the whole of my writing career is comedy. I love writing comedy, even in places it's not meant to be. I managed to sneak it in somehow. And so I thought, well, that's that's how I'm going to niche. I'm going to niche by, by my style of writing. And I did that. And I I had a I was really pleased with my website, et cetera, et cetera. But something was just not clicking with me. And I was finding marketing stuff writing that I just something wasn't right and I could not figure out what it was and am I I allowed to mention the m word on this yeah go for it we we can always you know cut what we need to (laughs) (laughs) well I realized through um I began working with a here it comes a menopause mentor who's amazing (laughs) I know we're not allowed to talk about that but it's the thing men get used to it this is a um, safe space. You can talk about yeah. that all day long. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I realized that 
my my identity as a writer and what I, my niche that I wanted was all tied up with where I was having just turned 50. You know, it had turning 50 had such a fundamental shift for me in terms of it just seems to open up the fact that you're at this huge crossroads in your life and you look back at everything you've done not in a morbid way but you know and you look forward and you, you know you're not 20 you haven't got that infinite amount of years left and you're like you're left with well what do I want to do really I don't want to waste this time what do I want to be and I realized that for so long I'd been played so many roles to so many other people you know mother sister daughter carer boss all of the you know the things you can list off that I'd kind of forgotten who I was so I wasn't able to niche because you're told your authentic self and your marketing and all that you know the only thing you've got that's unique is you all the things that I tell everyone else but I couldn't figure I'd kind of forgotten who I was so going through this process of of rediscovering myself away from all those other things that I was then I realized that that actually is my niche so now I work with Gen X women I help them I call it their Gen X factor I help them rediscover their Gen X factor um, and get themselves out there and stop being afraid of getting in front of the video and you know just because we're midlife women we do not have to be invisible and, you know, we've got so much to offer. That, you know, I've got so much experience. Um, and I see women around me with the same. They don't know how to do this online marketing stuff. And I don't mean the basics day to day of how to send an email and all that kind of thing. I mean, they don't know how to be. How do, how do, we don't have any role models. We don't know how as a midlife woman are we supposed to be on camera, on TikTok, on YouTube. And my philosophy is, just do 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 what you want to do you know I've never been a rule follower and suddenly I felt a bit sort of timid and oh should I do TikTok and now I'm like no you do you you and you find you find your fierceness your badass whatever that is and get out there and sell it to the world so that's what I'm that's my now my niche and I Miriam, love it. I think you're making history as the first person ever to pay attention to Gen X so yeah uh, that's absolutely. that's different right but yeah absolutely oh. <laughs> <laughs> I've been quite happy to stay in the background until now and kind of you know just watch with the popcorn or about what everyone else is getting up to but you know if I've got to be a personal brand then I'm going out there and unashamedly I'm going out there and I want to help and give women the confidence through copywriting script writing and and you know using videos so they can do it too I like that yeah so let's talk about what you were doing along the way to figure out this this niche for you because I mean it started in the accelerator and then you kept digging and digging and digging because it just wasn't clicking I think that's relatable for a lot of people mm. what are some of the exercises or thought processes you went through during that time that helped you um I tried certain niches on in the privacy sometimes of my office but I was I mean Paul Keir has seen so many iterations of my services you must have sent your head spinning I I set out I thought no I, I'm going to do first of all I thought no I just want to offer everything I want to do everything but I'm just writing comedy so I write every deliverable and it was just too much you know I want to be good I want to be a specialist in something so that wasn't working 
also I became frustrated at the amount of small and I this is no not disrespect to anyone who does these jobs but the smaller jobs I was being offered bitty jobs here and there and one I'm no good at the sales calls so that was making me unhappy and also I couldn't really get my teeth into anything because everything I do I do at 100% you know I research everything um so I thought, no, OK, I know what I'll do. I do launch copywriting because that's a whole big thing. I won't have to do as many discovery calls. Um, I'll be on a, you know, I really make a difference. I'll be on a, um, you know, a project for months. So I set out all these packages, these wonderful packages. I showed them to Kira and she was like, yeah, yeah, this looks good. And I said, yeah, but I don't want to write any of them. That's I don't actually what if somebody employs me to do this, I don't really want to write that. So that was when I stepped back and thought something is not right. I don't. And and it was only through the the M word and that work that I figured out what it was. So I think you've just got to try things on. Now, you might get further than me and go into those you know with all the launch copywriting prep I did and then go into it but I knew I'd be unhappy so I pulled straight out you know I'd done a lot of work on it a lot of research but I knew no I don't you know I I need to go the right way and if that means holding off for another month then so be it yeah I mean speaking of holding off like what was the time frame for this because you know as we work through the accelerator we know it's about a four or five month process but it can take a lot longer to go back and revisit some of this stuff as you start to see what's working, what's not, what's connecting. So how long did it take you from, you know, as you really started that process to where you landed? Well, the accelerator really got me thinking about, I had to get my head around this whole personal brand thing and being a business. It really was a, a big mind shift for me. Um, and I came out of the accelerator um, absolutely dead set on comedy is my niche. So I did work on that in that way for some months. I can't I can't remember exactly. But, you know, I was in that realm and writing content about it and enjoying it. Um, but after maybe six months, maybe a bit longer, I just became frustrated at the, the nature of the work and the constant small turnover. Um, then I worked on launch copywriting for another few months while still doing the uh, comedy jobs and um it took another few months after that for the m word to click and that's when i stepped back for a good couple of months to really hone in on my niche hone in on the services and see where i could make a real difference you know and i know lots of people we all say that we all say we serve and we don't sell. And, you know, I paid that lip service to a certain degree, but it was only when I got to this point and this niche where I I understood it. I now genuinely want to be able to serve these people. And when I looked at what I could offer these these women, you know, my fellow Gen Xers, it was driven by what would make the biggest difference to them. And, and the whole the whole marketing funnel, it all just came straight out because, and that's when I knew I was absolutely in the right place because I genuinely want to help and, and make a difference in their lives. Jan, I want you to step on your soapbox for <laughs> a little bit. Why 
I'm just going to ask a couple of questions. You answer whatever you want to answer, but why should we as marketers pay more attention to Gen X women? And also why are they being ignored? Can you talk about this problem and address it straight on? How long have we got? <laughs> Let's just yeah, run until the are, end of the there episode. There are whole books written about okay. Gen X being ignored. Yeah, yeah here we, we go. go. Really deep. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm currently writing another one. Um, so when I when I decided on this niche, obviously I looked into who was out there already doing this, which led me down the path of how Gen X women are being served by marketers, and and we're not is the simple answer. I mean, look at the advertising. There is virtually nothing aimed at Gen X women. My YouTube feeds is life insurance. I watch a lot of YouTube, life insurance, tenor lady, which are incontinence pads, and audible. Now, God thank audible is the only one I actually use, but it's pitiful that that is the only thing they can come up with for me, you know. And Gen X women have hold of the vast percentage of any family's purse strings. They my, my kids are teens, they influence what brands and how and what your children buy. And you now influence what your parents buy. You know, we're in that sandwich generation where we're helping our parents or our, our caregivers and we're helping our children. So it's crazy to me how we're being ignored, because if you just put it as simple finances, we are holding the majority of the purse strings. And you know, if I look at my podcast feed, for example, I'm interested and I listen to so such a diverse range of things that but none of those things are advertised to me. You know, nothing. I listen to I'm, I'm a politics nerd. I listen to history, you know, so much stuff. You think we've just shriveled up and we're waiting to die. You know, I'm only 52. I'm not quite dead yet. So. Yeah, but I'm, I'm in my head since I read all this. I've been writing a speech called Gen X Women Are Pissed Off and It's Marketers' Fault. So at some point, my one of my goals for next year is to give that speech at a conference because I was so enraged when I read this. I mean, obviously, from my own personal experience, I can see that there's nothing out there aimed at me. And there are things that are being advertised to other, uh, let's take Audible, uh, you know, other generations and other age brackets that could easily be switched and marketed to my generation as well. There's just no thought in it. There's no thought that you can redirect that advertising quite easily. And Gen X women are the most loyal customers. If you get um, Gen X uh, on a brand, you know, if you give good customer service or the products, but they will stay with you because, you know, they don't want the hassle of moving for a start, which is too busy. Um, so it's crazy. It's crazy to me. I'll stop yeah. for a minute. Uh, we could we could definitely go on. I've got lots of thoughts about Gen X yeah, and, it, and yeah. the generations, but I don't I don't want to miss the opportunity. You mentioned um, as you're talking about some of the things you're doing in your business that you're doing some things on TikTok, showing up on TikTok. And I know there are a lot of copywriters who are either now moving onto TikTok. Maybe there are a few that, there that are established. Lots of people who are, are like, I should I even be on TikTok. Tell us a little bit about your approach there, what you've been doing, what works, what you're seeing is working, and maybe even some of the stuff that doesn't work. Uh, well, I can, I can say for starters that 
every bit of my recent work has come from TikTok. I've never once advertised or sent a cold DM to anybody. Every one of my leads recently has come through TikTok. Um, Now, should someone be on it? Only if you enjoy it. I, I, I honestly, I think unless you enjoy the, I enjoy the platform. It's one of the very few social medias I actively enjoy. So spend some time on it. If you enjoy it, great, go for it. If you don't, don't do it. You don't have to do anything. Do what you want to do. Um, the advice that was given to me when I first started was don't bother with content plans or strategy, just pump out videos. 50 don't even stop till you've got 50 to 100 videos so that's what I did I just made copywriting videos whatever was in my head that day I just wrote a script got down and did it that's when you sit back and you go what's working what am I enjoying what are the audience enjoying um TikTok the back end of TikTok has very detailed analytics so you can see quite clearly when people drop off the video, it's quite demoralizing sometimes. Two seconds and the graph goes straight down. Um, so that's when you should do a content strategy. And I'm a really interesting point at the moment, but as I'm about to do this relaunch, I have done a whole new content strategy from everything I've learned being on TikTok and targeted towards my new niche. And I'm about to get out there and pump a load more content out. Um, yet there are loads of copywriters on TikTok. You TikTok, unless you are happy being yourself, truly being yourself, you will get sniffed out on TikTok. That's one of the things I love about it. It's BS meter is set to sensitive. So if you are trying to sell or if you are being inauthentic, that they you they they will not you, you'll be called out in the comments. You have got to be the naturalist, most real version of you that you can with a camera and pointed in front of you. Um, and that's what I also like about it, because t- to me, Instagram is so heavily curated that I can't click with it. TikTok is the antithesis of that. You literally pick up your phone and make a make a video. You know, not bothered about lighting. It's what you say and what you give to your audience that matters. You know, one of the most popular forms of content is is people making TikToks in their car, just sitting in their car, picking the phone up. And and I don't think you get away with that on Instagram. So if you you like it like I do, then, then jump on it because there's audience there for everybody. And, you know, it's um, a couple of months ago, introduced SEO on TikTok. So now you can start using keywords and it's showing up on search. I know some of my videos have, have ranked now. And that's just I before I even knew TikTok was going to have SEO. So, you know, if that's a thing for you, then, yeah, you should definitely jump on. OK, so I'd like to break it down as far as the steps. So if I'm listening, I'm like, yeah, I do enjoy watching TikTok. So I think I would enjoy making TikTok videos and I want to focus on this path to help me find clients over the next three months as an experiment. So what are some of the steps you mentioned, like just pump out content? Maybe that's step one. Um, There's some tagging. Are you like following other people too, so that they'll follow? I just, what are the steps along the way? If we want to use it for client acquisition, what should we make sure we do? Okay, I'll I'll try and I'll break this down quickly. First of all, you optimize your bio. 
you optimize your bio for to attract your target audience. So you make sure you've got keywords in there. My username is my name. My display name is copywriter, scriptwriter, video, for et cetera. Um, you find your audience, find out, you should, you have to know who your ideal customer is and you go out and find them and you follow them. It's similar advice to other platforms. You engage with them naturally, you comment, you build relationships. TikTok, it's community over virality, definitely. Community is everything, which is why you don't need a big audience to make money and get leads. Because I don't have a very big audience, but the audience who are there are genuinely there for the content I put out. Um, you, you, um, you don't sell. I know there's an 80-20 rule with most um, most things we do. You know, 80% we give value, 20% selling. I on TikTok would say 90, 10, even 95, 5. I certainly on the, the material I've got out there so far, I think I've mentioned what I do twice in like 100 videos. So um, you have got to give your ideal audience value and something that will make a difference to them because copywriting is not an impulse purchase. So they're not going to suddenly see you watch one video and go, oh, I must type. They're going to watch. They're going to see your personality. They're going to see, see that you understand their problem and you have a, a solution to it. So in that sense, it's like most other social media. Um, so um, you can, I think, in terms of your contents, what you put out, once you have a feel for uh, your where your audience are and what they like, you can have content pillars. I work on three different content pillars um, for a mass audience, for the middle audience, for my niche audience. And then that helps you just generate, you know, have no, no problem generating ideas. Um, the hook is everything on TikTok. The hook is the first three, three, five seconds. So we're talking about ad tags and tags on um, soaps. Unless you hook them in the first few seconds, they're gone. So your your hook is your, you know, it's things like insane website that feels illegal to know that, you know, that kind of thing, or they're gone. You can see in your analytics, that's where they swoop off. So your hook is everything. Then you give your content, you give the value, and then you have a tag, a CTA, call to action at the end, you know, like for more or whatever. That's the structure of most videos. And I, like I said, I've never reached out to anybody. I've just, I've built relationships with people whose content I like. Um, top tip is have two, have two TikTok accounts, one for work and one for play, because the TikTok algorithm is so sensitive if you're watching marketing, copywriting videos, and you suddenly start watching politics videos and dog videos, your feed is flooded within within 10 minutes with that. So I have one I go to play on and one for work. It's got a bit, it's got a bit muddled, I have to admit, but I'm going to have to start untangle them a bit. But when you first get on TikTok, do that. Otherwise, you will get lost with the content on there. 
Let me let me ask um, maybe two questions. So one yeah. is about the content pillars, exactly what kind of content you're creating for each of the three audiences. And then a second question is, once people have started watching your stuff, what do you do to start engaging with them so that you can make that connection and either pitch or let them know what you're doing so that they ask you for help on a project? Yeah, I um, I should have said that one hugely important thing on TikTok is the comments. You should always put the first comment in TikTok likes that it makes people more likely to comment. If anybody comments or asks questions on your uh, video, you have to reply. You must reply. And if you can, if it's a question, reply with a video that that uh, it, it builds up community so fast. And TikTok really the algorithm really likes it. Um, I just I don't treat anybody as a client I just answer the question as best as I can um, I think once you've built a relationship with someone you can feasibly ask you know approach them with a sort of warm DM I've never had to do that that's not to say I wouldn't do that but um, you must get to know them first otherwise they're just going to run so you asked me something else I've forgotten what you said um, the the first part of the question was about the particular content you're posting for each of those pillars oh, yes. as you're putting it out there. Like, what is what are you doing on the video that's working for you? Um, what I have done through sort of trial and error, I have created three different pillars. So the niche pillar is Gen X women with personal brands. That's my niche. So that's my core audience. My middle pillar is personal branding how do you create personal brands you know whatever industry you're in that so i form content around that the um upper one is online marketing because i found that if you have a mixture of those audiences you will get a greater uh, amount of um you know engagements that's just how I've chosen to do it. Sure. And what works for me. You know, I certainly wouldn't advise however you do your content pillars going more than three when you first start, because it's, it's a bit overwhelming. And I think your audience will get confused. And just to be clear, you're you're just teaching, right? You're not doing dances with captions or you're you're not trying to be cutesy. You're just laying information out there. Or am I totally misreading that? No, the biggest myth is that you have to dance on TikTok. There will be no dancing on my TikTok. I do do the occasional uh, trends, um, but you to make trends work, you have to make them relevant to your niche. That's the only way to do trends. But I only do the odd one that makes me laugh. If I instantly think, oh, I can relate that to copywriting or script writing, I do it. But TikTok wants original content. So that's what that will get placed higher in the the algorithm so no no dancing rob don't worry <laughs> all right um my my final question uh you know i think it's easy to hear about any social media trend you know like like tiktok and immediately think well i'm too late you know i missed the boat i couldn't possibly catch up or by the time i catch up it's going to be so busy and flooded it's not worth it what would you say to someone who is feeling that way or thinking that I'd say if you like TikTok, get on it. I mean, there's only been TikTok SEO happening for the last couple of months. So we are, it, and there are so many updates. The app gets updated at least a couple of times a week. They are in a process of huge change. 
and involvement at the moment. So you're absolutely not too late. Yeah, but I honestly think it's crucial that you like the platform because it's hard work and it can get overwhelming. Um, especially when you're watching it as a as a viewer trying you know trying to think of new ideas. So no, just do it. If you love it, do it. I'm I'm tempted. I don't have TikTok. I've seen a couple of TikToks I think posted, you know, cross posted over to Instagram, but I'm tempted to try it out. So final question, is there anything that that I need to be thinking about as I'm starting out like is there a start fast thing? Do I like need to post a bunch to get started? Is it a go slow? Uh, like what are just a couple of those things that I need to do if I'm actually going to get on there and connect with the right audience? Um, don't overthink it. Just like do what I did. I mean, my first ones are terrible, but I think unless you just get into the habit of posting a video a day, you're never going to do it. Just do it. I mean, how many people are going to see it? And that's the right cadence. Once a day is where we should. Well, oh, now that's a whole other thing. Yeah. Um. You know, if you listen to the TikTok uh, gurus, they'll say you have to be posting three or four videos a day to get big growth. No, you don't. Um. What TikTok likes is consistently consistency. So if you post once a day and you do that every day, that's fine. If you want to just post in the week and not do weekends, that's fine. You know, there are no hard and fast rules, but you have to. You must be consistent. Okay. Awesome. Okay. Well, this has been really enlightening, really helpful, Miriam, not just the TikTok stuff, but just how you think about story and its application to copywriting, the the things that you did to find your niche has been really helpful. If somebody has been listening and they're thinking, wow, I need to connect with Miriam. I want to find out what she's doing, join her list, whatever, where should they go? Um Come to TikTok, join the dark side. I'm at Marianne Vossou. You'll have to look at the uh, show notes to see how you spell my name. Um, I'm at MarianneVossou.com is my website. And I'm also the same over on LinkedIn. And we'll link to it in the show notes just in right. case somebody can't figure out how to spell your last name, which isn't <laughs> the easiest name to, to no. spell. So we'll definitely link to it so people can find you. It'll be in the show notes. Thanks, Miriam, for sharing so much about your business. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Miriam. That's the end of our interview with Miriam Vasu. But before we wrap, ah, there's so much we want to talk about. So, I mean, can where do you want to begin, Jen? What what excited you the most? Um, hell yeah, to the Gen X woman. Like that's that's what got me excited. I'm 47, so I'm firmly Gen X. And just hearing her, you know, her voice immediately started to like lighten up when she's like, I found my niche and it's, um, it's helping Gen X. And I, I love that, um, you know, that she was talking about menopause and then she was like the M word. And I was like, man, someday, hopefully the, like, why are we saying the M word? Right. It's menopause. It's biology. Like it's, <laughs> it's great. Right. I mean, you know, I have a stuffed up nose. You're in menopause. Great. It's all the same, <laughs> same thing. Um, but she's right. It is one of those, especially for those of us in this generation, um, it is somewhat of a taboo discussion and I'm excited that it's becoming less of one, um, partially because of people like her, like, Hey, this is a real thing. This is what's going to happen. And, and here's what I did and how it affected me. And now she's turning around and using arguably the youngest form of social media. Right. <laughs> yeah. To, like, I love, I mean, that's a beautiful 
juxtaposition right there. She's using TikTok to help Gen X women. <laughs> like, it's great. Um, and as somebody, I recently got on TikTok. Much did you? I, think I you didn't know Rob, that. I did. <laughs> I did. Well, you know, you and Rob, like six months ago, were like, you got to get on video. And I had to do some mindset work around it. And um, one day I just said, you know what, screw it. <laughs> and I started putting up videos um, on TikTok. She broke down, you know, what she did so beautifully and so simply um, and her strategy and her strategy in the beginning was just do it. And that is, I mean, we can all just do it, right? Like just do it and don't worry about it and learn. And it gave me great um, solace to know that she was like, do 50 to hundred videos and then back up and, and make a strategy. I was like, oh, so I can just try things and see how it goes and, and guess, you know, that there's a freedom in that. So, um, yeah, I immediately reached out. I follow her on TikTok now. I immediately sent her a LinkedIn request. I'm like, <laughs> you are all over it. You've got it under control. You two are going to be besties pretty soon. Um, I love that. And yeah, I mean, menopause. Yes. Like I just want to talk about menopause because I mean, maybe we should just convert the copywriter club episode or the series of episodes about menopause because it is a huge marketing topic that is not being covered. And, you know, unfortunately, when we don't talk about things like menopause, um, that it's, it's, it becomes a surprise, right? And it becomes more taboo. And then it's easier to feel, um, confused and disconnected or even shameful because it's something that we're not talking about. So I'm I'm excited that she's leaning into it and I want to talk more about it in all the places even though maybe the copywriter club is not the best place, but we'll figure out another place to talk about it. And you know, she talked a lot about um you know, turning 50 and what that means for her and like finding that purpose and how she's helping her community and her clients figure that out too and really like figure it out, but also embrace it and own it. Um, and so, you know, I, I am Gen Y millennial, but I'm definitely on the cusp and my husband is full on Gen X. And so I get to experience a lot of it prematurely with him um, and kind of witnessing him as he's really at that crossroads too. And I get to see him kind of think through it and, and struggle with some of it and ask those big questions. And so um, it's, it's I, I can see where that desire to really like find that purpose um, lives at that crossroads for him. And so it's, it's incredible that she's helping people do that and figure out what that looks like for them. And then jumping on TikTok to talk about it and probably moving on to the next social media channel when it's not TikTok, figuring out what the next one is because it will, you know, continue to change. Yeah, for sure. And I, I also think, and I can relate to this as well. She talked about, you know, coming to the, well, you mentioned her turning 50. I mean, your mortality is staring you in the face, right? I mean, generally speaking, and, and I can relate to that. I just have young kids. So like, I'm a millennial mom. I parent like a millennial because my kids are still eight and three, but I am a Gen X um, in my mindset. And the fact that, you know, I am approaching 50 in a few years here, like, I mean, that is not lost on me. And it's also something that we don't often talk about, right? I mean, there are platitudes about it, like, you know, and, you know, coffee mug sayings and motivational this and that, but she's digging in, like, 
you know, listen, let's, let's talk. Like, what do you really want to do? Now is the time to get real. You've done all that other stuff. Let's get real. And, and she's living what she's, she's teaching. And that is the most authentic form of mentorship there is. So yeah, I'm super excited to continue to watch her and hopefully my multiple messages didn't scare her away and she'll be my, <laughs> my friend. She's like, who is this person, Jen? Because she's harassing me. <laughs> well, I, I want to hear more about TikTok because um, I didn't even know that you were on it when we connected. So um, what attracted me to it, <laughs> what attracted me to it is someone who's like, oh, I really don't want another social media channel. Um, I don't know if I need another social media channel, but I do like that she mentioned the analytics of it and how detailed the analytics are. And so I, I'm curious about that. If you've seen the benefit or experienced the benefit of having a platform where you can pull those analytics and also just like how the experience has been for you as, as more of a newbie. Yeah. I haven't gotten into the analytics um, as deep as I eventually will. What, I like about it. And what she mentioned was the authenticity, right? She said that most TikToks are just people in their car. And I'm really attracted to that kind of spontaneity and realness, because that's when I get my inspiration to say something. Um, she also said that, you know, one of the, the reasons why she she is on TikTok um, is because there are people out there who need what she has to offer. And there are, I mean, copywriters, like there are a lot of, I'm just going to say it, there's a lot of bad advice out there on TikTok. I mean, there, you know, as is going to happen when you get that amount of people saying things, there's a lot of bad um, or unhelpful marketing advice, writing advice, mindset. Um, there are some things on the scarier side that are not helpful in the mental health space. So I find myself really wanting to correct some of that and to say, hey, you know, this is, this is the right answer, or this is a better answer, or, or what, and just share my experience. And as an, and she says this, as an older person, you know, we have 25, 30 years of experience to share, there's a value in that. Um, and so the fact that she's doing that, in these super fun, bite sized videos, where she's not dancing, but she's got the graphics, right? She's using TikTok's um, visual stimulation to make them fun. Uh, so yeah. And that, she also said, she's like, not one time, and this caught my attention, did she, has she really sold? And she hasn't reached out to anybody. Not that she's opposed to that, but she hasn't sent any warm or cold DMs. These are people who are reaching out to her. And if that's not, I mean, attraction, not promotion, like, I don't know what is like, that's, she's just having fun sharing what she knows, helping people and earning a living doing it. I mean, isn't that, isn't that the goal of why we're all here? So um, yeah, I mean, I'm definitely new. I only have a few hundred followers, but uh, I'm going to employ some of her suggestions and maybe the next time I'm on here, I will be a TikTok superstar. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be episode. We'll bring you back. Let's see. You right. were on for 307. So we'll bring you back for 407 and you'll be a TikTok superstar. That would be amazing. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's again, if anyone's going to get me to do it, it's talking to Miriam and, you know, it's marketing 101. This is like the basics of marketing. If your people are there, if your prospects are in, on TikTok, 
or any platform, then that's where you need to be unless there's a huge issue and, you know, you can't be there for whatever reasons. Um, but, you know, for look, even thinking about the copywriter club. So if I am co-founder and representing the copywriter club and there are tons of copywriters on TikTok, then it is, it's not a smart marketing decision to not be there and to not communicate if your community is there and you're right, like they're receiving bad advice from so many people. Like in some ways you, they deserve to hear from someone who can, who can talk to them and, and teach them. And so, um, I think, you know, I'm starting to get closer to the edge. Um, I'm not quite pushed over, but I'm, I'm, and now that I know that you're there, I, I don't know, maybe this is time to give it a go. Um, I'd also love to know, Jen, just because you have really leaned into your own visibility, like showing up on TikTok and other places, just if you have any advice for a copywriter who feels ready or maybe in the new year wants to lean in, show up more, you know, feel feel like they're owning their brand um, and speaking up, what advice would you give them? That's a great question. Um, the answer for me would be to just do it and to know that whatever that little inner critic voice is telling you people are going to say about you is wrong. Um, and I did a lot of mindset work around this um, with a, a few people, including Linda Perry, who's you know the coach in the think tank. There were some stories that I was telling myself that I didn't even realize I was telling myself. Um, and it all comes down to, and I know I told you this, Kira, um, here's a Gen X line. They're all going to laugh at you. They're all going to laugh at you, which, <laughs> right? That's what I thought. And I think that's what most people think. If I go on there and I make a complete fool of myself, they're all going to laugh at me or I'm going to this or I'm going to that. You know what? They're not. And if they are, keep going, make a ton of money and be like, keep laughing. I mean, right? I mean, what's my my choice? Otherwise, it's to stay not visible and fail if I can do that and fail well okay fine like but there's the possibility of success anyway um yeah so I would say just do it and there that being said there's a reason why you didn't know I was on TikTok I have not made any massive announcements <laughs> that I'm on TikTok because I wanted the freedom to just do it and to feel stupid and to feel silly but do it anyway um and just in that doing I've built my confidence um, and, and I, I'm in now. So now I have to be a TikTok superstar so that I can, you know, stare down my detractors. Yeah. Now you're fully in now that you've shared on this episode too. Um, I, but I, I think that's great advice as far as just like allow yourself space to play before you feel like you have to, because my issue is usually perfectionism of just like, oh, you know, I'm going to show up there and I'm not. I'm not going to nail it for a while. Like it's not going to be where I want it to be, where I see others. And so it's not worth it, which is the worst attitude. But I think if I look at it your way, just give yourself space to play. Don't make a formal announcement. Like you don't have to make it into a big thing and just show up and test and experiment until you're ready to really lean into it more. And so I think that's a great approach to take. Yeah. And I will also say to lean into your community, right? So I posted a reel on Instagram. And my reel was basically nothing. It was, oh my God, I keep trying I keep trying to do this stupid video and my hair doesn't look right and I just need to get visible. So here it goes. I mean, literally, that was my reel. And within two two hours, 
I had like 50 likes and a ton of comments. And yes, some were family and some were friends, but most of them were TCC community members. And they were saying, right on, Jen, just keep doing. Oh, it was totally like, I just sat there and stared at my screen and I was like, oh my God, with this support, I can't go wrong. I mean, right? And like, and I've had messages sent from various TCC members who are like, Jen, I love that you're being more visible. I don't even know if they're watching my stuff. I don't, I mean, they know everything I'm going to say, so who cares? But their support, I was like, I don't know why I think everybody's going to laugh at me because the people who are truly, um, who, who are truly valuable in my life aren't going to. Yeah, no, I think that's, I think it's a perfect way to end this conversation. It's just like a lot of this can feel a little easier and a little, a little bit more comfortable when you have support from, from friends, family, but definitely from other people who are doing what you're doing, other copywriters. And so I think that's a great way to end just like the power of community and how it can help you to be connected to Jen or to Miriam and to other other writers who are showing up and like putting themselves out there and, you know, being fearless or trying to be fearless like we all are. So I like that. So let's wrap by thanking our guest, Miriam Basu, for joining us on the podcast. If you want to connect with her, we'll link her website to the show notes. And if you want to listen to more conversations like this one, you can check out episode 75 with Britt McGinnis, episode 177 with Andrea Jones, and episode 276 with Isai Arasi about how to use social media as a copywriter. So all those episodes are social media related. If you just want to geek out on social media, definitely check out those episodes. And if you're interested in building your business with us in the new year, uh, learn more about the Copywriter Accelerator. You can head over to the link in our show notes. And if you have any questions about whether or not it's a good fit for you, or if you want to chat with someone on our team, you can email us at help at thecopywriterclub.com. I want to thank my co-host, Jen. Thank you for being here with me. Um, do you have anything you want to share if people want to connect with you? Um, anything you want to promote? Any, like, anything you want to put out there into the world? Well, now that I've just divulged TikTok, come on TikTok at Jen Prohaska um, and join me. Um, otherwise, it's uh, the right difference. W-R-I-T-E dot com is my website. Excellent. And that's the end of this episode of the Copywriter Club podcast. The intro music was composed by copywriter and songwriter Addison Rice. The outro was composed by copywriter and songwriter David Muntner. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We really appreciate your, your review and we will share it in a future episode. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next week. Copywriters coming together to help the world write better. Copy and make more money. Kira and Rob's Copywriters Club. Yeah.